Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome NBA strategy show. I'm Dave Lochran. With me, Greg Ehrenberg, as he is every single Thursday morning, at least for now. Still got plenty of basketball left. We're going to be working down the one-game slates, but not today. Uh, we still got two going on here. We've got game three for Toronto, Boston. We've got game one for Denver and the Clippers. Greg, I'll tell you what, man, just to kick this off, and we're happy to have everyone with us, as always, We've been really lucky with some Game 7s, with some great games lately. You're going to hear some complaints about the refs. Uh, it might have been Weber yesterday that said something about the whistleblowers were struggling, and, and I forget who else it was with him in the booth tried to cover for him because you're not supposed to say bad things about the refs. But Miami and Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee down two games to none. We can get into the controversy surrounding that. Uh, and, and then last night, Houston and OKC, Lou Dort, baby, the undrafted rookie rise to fame with a 30-point game. I predicted that on Twitter, by the way, that he was going to get that final shot in the one-possession game. Uh, didn't come to fruition. Got blocked by James Harden. But, yeah, we've we, it's been great. Utah, Denver. Denver moves on. But there's been um, – it has not been an easy road for teams like Houston and Denver to get where they are. No, and uh, I, I was pretty I was pretty stoked about Lou Dort because I was a big Lou Dort guy yesterday. I talked about him when I did the morning show with Josh yesterday. And the, the thing with the, the way the Rockets defended door, they were just like, hey, you're, you're, we're, we're going to give you shots. It got to the point where it was so extreme where literally the door was touching the ball and there was guys like running away from him. It's yeah. like you could at least pretend to, 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 to defend him. So Lou Dort, I have to check what his final usage ended up being last game. But the two games prior to yesterday, he had usage ratings over, uh, over 30%. And last, last night at halftime, he had a usage rating of like 50% at halftime. I think it, it tapered off a little bit in the second half, but it was something ridiculous like that. So we look at Dort, yeah, he ended with a 35.6% usage rating. Uh, I don't think he does that in any other series. That was just the way the Rockets defended him, but it kind of got to a point where it was like, Ludor looks like a really good DFS play for me because he's playing a bunch of minutes to defend Harden and he's open on every single possession on offense. It was almost comical. Like I tweeted three games ago, the, the one where he shot, what was it, three for 16 or something, that Lou Dort might be the only player in the league that wishes somebody would defend him. Because at the time, you've got yourself a rookie, undrafted player, and 
you're in game five, game six, game seven of the postseason, and it's all falling on you. The truth is, it really was. Like, if if they couldn't scheme something to get guys like Paul and, and Schroeder and Gilgis Alexander or Gallinari open, it was all on Lou Dort. And it just, I don't know, we, we got plenty of time to get into to all of today's games, but it was fascinating that Mike D'Antoni decided to take this approach. And, and I don't have an issue with it, but how often, right? Think about this, Greg. How often are you going to see a game? And we might see this more often, honestly, uh, with quote-unquote liability players, which Dort in game seven ended up not being one. How often do you really see a team say, you know what, screw it. We won't go to, they got some good, they got some good players, Paul or Gal, uh, Gallinari or Dennis Schroeder or Shea Gilgis-Alexander, three of whom can really get shots up. I'll say even four that are well above average basketball players. And we're just going to let Dort take 20 field goal attempts in a game seven. That is not common whatsoever. No, it's it's funny because the last team I can remember that kind of set up like this, and it wasn't really to this extreme, but it's with the Thunder and Andre Roberson. Right. right, like he was one guy who teams were like we're going to leave him open. He wasn't they always have an Andre Roberson, by <laughs> but, the way. But, <laughs> but they weren't. He wasn't nearly as willing to shoot as Dort was. And I'm still not totally sure, like long term, like like how decent is Dort as an offensive player. Like there might be a point where we look back in the past and Dort's maybe like a league average three point shooter and be like, how ridiculous was it that the Rocks just left this guy open three games in a row and just let him shoot as much as he can? Because uh, th- that is almost what killed them yesterday. No question, man. No question. Uh, painting my room, painting my office, by the way. So excuse what's going on behind me. Let me tell you this much. Painting's like working out where it absolutely sucks and you hate it until it's done. And then you feel pretty good about it. But I get halfway through it and just wish I never started, Greg. So <laughs> office is an absolute mess. I have anxiety. I have uh, claustrophobia, but that's okay. We're going to dive right into this. Get two games here, Boston, Toronto, Denver, and the L.A. Clippers. Let's just kick it off with Boston and the Toronto Raptors. I, I mentioned this to Adam, I, I guess, yesterday morning during the NBA strategy show. I am I think Boston's going to the finals, man. Like, I, I, I feel and, – and maybe that's, that's not like a hot take or anything, and I'm not saying it is, but I think they're the best te- – I think they're collectively and uh, overall the best team in the East right now. Who do you have going to the finals? I got Boston. It's hard to say because I still think that Toronto is better than them. But with that said, Boston's up 2-0 in the series. So I have to favor the Celtics to win at this point. Something that is interesting is if you go to 538, like I I don't necessarily love the projection model, but I think it's interesting to look at. They have the Celtics as a favorite to win the championship right now. And they have the Celtics as a pretty prohibitive favorite to come out of the East at this point. And they actually had Boston as the favorite to come out of the East even before winning these first two games against, against Toronto. So I do look at the game tonight and see Toronto is still just the one-point favorite. Like, I think the Raptors should have won that last game. They totally collapsed in the fourth quarter. And I think they make for a decent bet in this spot uh, in a game that's essentially a pick But I, I agree with you that as of right now, if we're just looking at odds, it, it has to be the Celtics as the favorite to come out of the East. They're not going to win unless Pascal Siakam can turn his game up. He needs, he needs, to, he needs to notch his game. He needs to put it into to high gear, which we saw last season. Flat out. Needs to happen. They've got a lot of great players, but Siakam has Siakam has struggled. You can't, Greg, you can't step out of bounds with no. less than a minute to go in a one possession. You can't step out of bounds in a spot like that. Like I, I get you make mental errors, but that's not a place where that can happen. You know? The other thing too is so many of these games come down to three point shooting variants. 
like there's so many games where I look back, it's like this team shot 40% from three, this other team shot 25% from three. And you just figure if those numbers were normalized a little bit, then the game has a different outcome. And I did feel a little bit with that last game because, you know, Marcus Smart had all those threes in the fourth quarter. The Celtics ended up shooting 40% from three and the Raptors shot 27% from three. So in, in games where the, the margins are so narrow, th- there's a lot of times I'll just look at those games and think like, all right, going forward, if I assume normal three-point shooting, what ends up changing? And that's one of the ways that I think this game could change the most at game three where the Raptors win is if they just shoot their normal percentage from three and the Celtics shoot their normal percentage from three, then the Raptors come out ahead more often than not, in my opinion. It's very possible. Boston has a 101 defensive rating in the postseason, though. They've been spectacular. Uh Houston has a 101, tied for the best defensive rating in the postseason, the Houston Rockets. That's right, the Houston Rockets, man. Pretty crazy stuff. Let's uh, get into some of the picks here, some of the plays. This uh, Boston series is not being played at a, at, a, at a very fast pace. I don't think any of us anticipated that would be the case anyway, and it hasn't made a ton of difference, right? Because, number one, we've only got two games Number two, you look at a Boston and Utah series that was played at a crawl, or sorry, Denver and Utah series that was played at a crawling pace, like 93 and a half possessions per 48, which is insanely slow for 2020 basketball. That made no difference whatsoever either, Greg. So I, I don't really, uh, I, I don't think it's it's necessary to even dive too much into that, but more so uh, take a look at each one of these players. And, and as we always do on these short slates, we'll do our best to leave no stone unturned. Uh, but yeah, the, the pace of this game is up from last series, at least 101 possessions per 48. And we'll kick it off with Kemba Walker, who finally appears healthy. He didn't have a great game last time out, but a couple of things that were encouraging. One, he played 38 minutes. That's the most minutes he's played in any postseason game. And two, he had those ankle breaker moves, man, stopping on a dime. I know you saw what I'm talking about, too. Cardiac Kemba. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, Kemba, th- did I say someone else? No, no, no. I was, I was just, I was just adding. I was saying cardiac oh, okay. Kemba. Yeah, he had he, just stopping on a dime, stuff you didn't see him do late in the season or um, or late in the bubble or in that postseason series against Philly. He looks to be fully back, but his price tag is increasing as a result too. Yeah, and I still don't mind it. I mean, if like if we're comparing the DraftKings pricing, which uh, I think is a little bit easier to look at, just because there's more positional flexibility. Kemba Walker seventy seven hundred, Jalen Brown seventy four hundred. I'd much prefer to roster Kemba over Jalen Brown if those are the options at like in guard position or utility. Just because Walker is still to me the the much better fantasy producer for the season. He averaged thirty six DraftKings points per game in less minutes than Jalen Brown played, and Jalen Brown averaged thirty four and a half. So now, assuming that both of them play about the same amount of minutes going forward, I think that Kemba Walker is going to be the better fantasy producer of the two. So Kemba Walker, I think that he makes for a pretty good play on this slate uh, with it being two games. You know, earlier in the season, Walker was a guy who was priced in like the mid-8,000 range, as high as in the 9,000 range. So there's still a little bit of value in his price tag. Ownership right now on Kemba on DraftKings is coming in around 31%. Makes sense. Uh, on FanDuel, Kemba's around 44%, probably your seventh highest. Yeah, seventh highest owned player right now. Uh, I have no issues with that. Th- this team spreads the ball out a lot. And, and that's one thing that we've talked about uh, frequently is they're, they're, they're going to, th- there isn't one player that's going to completely take over each and every game. There, there's opportunities for everybody. And if you just look at, um, if you just look at the usage through this specific series, 
it, it's no real surprise that you're going to see um, that you're going to see it, it spread out a little bit. Usage wise, you have uh, who is it? Daniel Tice with a 26% usage rate in 25 minutes through this series, um, which is, is, is that surprising to you that Daniel Tice has been that involved? Meanwhile, Robert Williams is the one that's getting a ton of opportunity off the bench. Um, it, so what I find is kind of surprising is that Tice played 31 minutes last game. Yeah. To, to me, that's, that's kind of the thing where it's like, Oh, if Tice stays out of foul trouble, then means he's going to play pretty big minutes. However, if he does get in foul trouble, which happens a lot, it seems like the Celtics don't have an issue playing Robert Williams, and he's clearly ahead of Ennis Canner on the depth chart yeah, now. Yeah, Canter's buried now. Yeah, Canner's done. Like, Canner's toast. There's no reason to consider him for DFS. Uh, this is a slate where it's pretty hard to find value, so I, I don't mind digging for Robert Williams if you absolutely need to save salary. Uh, but Daniel Tice is, uh, look, looks like a pretty good option, especially if he's going to get those 30 minutes again because he's a guy who averages about a fantasy point per minute. Jason Tatum in both of these games, he's, he was one, Jason Tatum annihilated the 76ers. Um, he's, he's a budding superstar. He might already be there. Played 42 minutes in regulation last time out. Brad Stevens is going to run these guys till the wheels fall off at this point. He hasn't had that monster game yet, but he's still going to go out there and get up between what, 18 and 20 shots every single game. You can rely, or you can rely on Tatum for the shot volume to be there. Uh, it's it's unlikely that you're ever going to get it. And this is kind of what I mean by this when you're paying for for somebody like Tatum, Greg. And it doesn't matter on a two-game slate, but it's very seldom are you going to get that that game where Tatum goes for 30 field goal attempts like a James Harden or uh or or a Giannis in a specific spot. You're gonna you you know what you're getting from him. Uh he's ninety two hundred dollars on DraftKings and his his ownership right now, fifty-two percent on FanDuel. And uh, on DK, he's at 34. And a lot of these Boston players are coming in in that range. I think for the reasons we talked about, they're not overpriced, but they're they're not super cheap. And also, they're, it's it's hard to predict which one of these players is going to be the one that does the, the bulk of the damage any given night. It's a pretty big collective effort from Boston. Yeah, so I'll say this. Like, I, I think I look at these guys and there's no one that stands out as a great play. But right. there's no one that I think is a bad play either. And with it being a two-game slate, we, we can't really totally avoid any of these guys either. So I'd at least say go into Fantasy Cruncher and set a rule that not to put all three of Walker, Brown, and Tatum into the same lineup, like no more than two of them. I think that's the best way to make it so that you're not super reliant on some weird situation where you need all three of them to go off, because that just doesn't seem likely to me, the, the way that the Celtics spread the ball out. I'm with you. Jalen Brown, Smart, Tatum, and Kemba – are all within four projected ownership points today. That's it's exactly what you would expect to see. Uh, even Daniel Tice is up there around 28. So the entire team uh, is going to be relatively popular. Sorry, the entire starting lineup yeah. is going to be pretty popular. The Would you, and we had a question about this last time in chat, and it was a good one. Would you, knowing that this is a two-game slate and specifically looking at how much these players cost, would you be willing to throw Williams and Tice in the same lineup? Normally, on like in a regular season slate, on a normal slate, that would be an easy, a snap no. Is there is there any logic in doing that here, uh, or does it still cannibalize each other's production enough to where it's just not worth it, even on an abbreviated slate? 
So I think there would be a situation where I'd say I'm okay with it. It's not today, though, and the reason is because I view that there's a decent amount of upside in Montrez Harrell in the later game if he gets close to his normal minutes, which I think is going to be the case today. So if there was a spot where there was just no other big men that I liked, then I'd say, like, okay, it's viable. But since I think there's a bunch of upside in Harrell, I, I wouldn't play Tyson Williams together. Okay. I don't think I would either. What about the rest of the Boston team? I think we pretty much hit on most of it. Tatum, Kemba, Tice, uh, Robert Williams. Let's talk a little bit about these wing players, Marcus Smart and, and Jalen. So of the, of the starters on the Celtics, Jalen Brown is my least favorite. I have him projected for under a fantasy point per minute in this series, playing around 38 minutes per game. And the other issue, too, is just I don't know how much upside there realistically is in his DraftKings price. I think on FanDuel, he's much more of a viable play just because he's small forward eligibility and there's just a positional scarcity issue. But talking about his DraftKings price, so he scored 38 and a half DK points last game. That's fine. It's not terrific for his price tag, but it's viable. But that was because he had three steals and two blocks. To me, that's something that's not particularly sustainable. He had a 23.6% usage rating. And then if you look at his games prior to that in the playoffs, 30 DK points, 33, 25, 29. So for that reason, I just think Jalen Brown's a little bit overpriced and he's, he's the lowest priority for me of any of the Boston starters. I agree with you. 0.86 minutes or 0.86 DraftKings points per minute with uh, Hayward and 155 minutes with Hayward off the floor in the postseason. You've got Kemba at 1.31, Tatum at 1.23, even Daniel Tice at 0.9. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, Marcus Smart's the only one in 155 minutes as well that has lower per minute production. Even if you were to put Hayward on the floor in the playoffs, and if you wanted to go back to the bubble, just the start of the bubble in the reseeding games, I suppose you could do that. But uh, Tatum's still below a fantasy – or, sorry, Brown's still below a fantasy point per minute. And that's just kind of who he is. He's a, he's a good player, but not somebody that I think on, – on a two-gamer, you could make an argument for, for getting him into some lineups. But you're never going to prioritize a $7,400 Jalen Brown when Kemba Walker and, Jay, uh, and Jason Tatum are, are also on the floor and healthy. Yeah, and, and because Kyle Lowry is 7,500. So you look at the other side of the game, which we'll transition into, is just Lowry is such a better to me player and fantasy producer than Jalen Brown that when there's only a $100 price difference between the two, I, like that's just where I'd, I'd be going on DraftKings. Sure. And yeah, the, the, the frequency that you're touching the basketball is going to come into play for sure. 
you just look at the postseason alone, Kyle Lowry uh, averaging like 68 touches per game. I bet you'd think it was more than that, but it's not. Uh, and that's because Fred Van Vliet's been doing a ton of ball handling as well. But Jalen Brown's nowhere to be found. You have to go to the next page to even see uh, how many touches he's getting per game. 46. It's not a stat that's all-encompassing by any stretch, but it does show overall involvement. Uh, and I think Kyle Lowry, as we make that transition to the Toronto Raptors, at the same price, is just far more appealing and, and a more reliable player as well. Fred Van Vliet as well. We, t- we can talk about uh, both backcourt members here. Fred Van Vliet's going to play 40 minutes plus in a close game, probably 43 minutes again. Nick Nurse is, is consistent and uh, predictable with his rotations as long as the game stays competitive. Uh, and if that's the case, you're just going to get massive minutes from these guys. If you look at game two, uh, where it was actually competitive, Greg, you got 40 minutes from Lowry, 43 from Siakam, 43 from Van Vliet, and almost 39 minutes from OG Ananobi. Meanwhile, uh, Serge Ibaka got 27 minutes off the bench. And unlike game one, he did not play any overlapping minutes with Marcus Saul, which is worth pointing out. Yeah, I, I think that there's – well, there's two things we have to talk about here. Number one, the Raptors are down 2-0 in the series. There's going to be a lot of desperation here. So I, I think that all those core guys, massive minutes, unless there's some sort of foul difficulty, like Siakam, Lowry, Van Fleet, I think it's reasonable to think all three of them play over 40 minutes today. They will. Um, there's no reason they won't. They did last game too. Yeah. So I, I think that's something to keep in mind. All three of them are really strong plays with a lot of upside, really high floor. The other thing, too, Marcus Gasol is so dusty. He is absolutely finished. It, it, to me, it looks like. He just looks terrible on the court. So seeing the Raptors in a 2-0 hole, I think there's a chance a lineup change happens. And if it's the case, taking Gasol out of the starting lineup is, is the most logical move. I talked last game about whether or not Serge Ibaka was a viable tournament option, uh, even though he was com- knowing he was coming off the bench. Like, were there enough minutes there? Uh, I, I I tend I tend to still lean yes if the ownership is is where you want it to be. He on a use from a usage perspective, he's still getting opportunities. I'm 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 in agreement with you that you might see Serge Ibaka get more opportunity here because look, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Saul for a long time was an elite defender. His offensive skill set is completely gone. Right, it's 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 gone. And defensively, he's not the same player he was. Serge Ibaka is still a capable shot blocker. He's still a capable defender. It's not like, I think sometimes we forget about this, Greg, because Gasol is the starter and, and oftentimes plays as many minutes, if not more than Ibaka. Serge Ibaka is not a trash defender. It's not like you put him in there and he's this massive liability, like an Ennis Cantor, where, hell, he's a great rebounder. He's a great scorer. He can put in everything around the basket, but he can't, but he can't defend. No. Abaka is a very good rebounder. He's still a competent shot blocker. He's still a good defender, and he can score a ton of points. So uh, if Serge Abaka was in the starting lineup, wouldn't shock me at all, unless you're talking about someone else being in the starting lineup. In, in that case, I just don't know who that would be, and, and I, I don't imagine that's going to happen. So I don't think it is, but uh, one one scenario that I threw out as a possibility in the pick and hedge article that I read at Osmo is I think if the Raptors make a starting line change, I think Serge Ibaka for Marcus Sol is easily the most likely option. However, the Celtics do play smaller lineups, so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility if they start Norman Powell and just go really small with Siakam at center. Uh, that's a lineup that they closed with a decent amount this year, and it's a lineup that I actually think uh, plays pretty well against Boston. 
Uh, it's hard to know what Nick Nurse is going to do, and he'll, he'll probably just play Marcus All again to start. But I hope that's not what he does. Um, but if we look at the 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 matchup against the Celtics, and one thing you mentioned before is that Pascal Siakam and how much he struggled last game. Part of it was because he just didn't have any room in the paint, right? Like he would drive to the basket, and the defense would collapse on him in a second. If you have Serge Ibaka out on the court, that's going to spread the floor out more than with Marcus Sill out there. That's going to give Siakam more more room to operate. Same goes with Norman Powell's out on the court. Those are two lineups that I think really help their floor spacing on offense and would give them more room to operate and would certainly help Pascal Siakam out a lot also. Ibaka's projected ownership is 12% on DraftKings right now. If he's in the starting lineup, that's going to change quickly and significantly. If Ibaka gets the start, and then you're projecting him north of 30 minutes, he's going to go from one of the lowest-owned players on this slate to one of the highest-owned players uh, in, in the snap of a finger. So, you know, I, I, I if, he does, if he doesn't start, let's say Nick Nurse doesn't change the lineup, uh, and I tend to think that he probably will for because Nick Nurse is a really good coach and he actually knows how to make adjustments. If, if he does, in fact, not change the lineup and Ibaka comes off the bench – would you have any interest in him at his current price? For sure, especially because of his ownership. And the other thing, too, is, I mean, he's just outplaying Gasol so handily that I still think there's a situation where Gasol starts, Ibaka comes in next, and I'm pretty confident Ibaka would outplay him. And then I think at that point you just give Ibaka more minutes the rest of the game because, you know, it's 2-0, they need a win. You leave the guys out there that are playing well, and I assume that that's not going to be Marcus Gasol because he sucks now. Yeah, pretty much. I was actually looking at the game flow here to see what this team looked like with Ibaka on the floor, uh, what these runs looked like. And uh, when when Gasol was on the floor, man, would you look at that? Actually, when Ibaka – yeah, so early in the game in the first half, they started making a run when, when Ibaka was on the floor. But then Ibaka was on the floor – in the second half when they went down by 12 too. So I don't know how much you'd glean into that. Probably not much, but the, 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 the big thing is Abaka closed the game out, right? Like Abaka closed that game out the final three minutes. Um, I could see him getting, even if he doesn't start maybe an extra four minutes or so. And if you get 30 minutes from Abaka and at 6,100 at 12% ownership, that's going to be really, really intriguing. So. Uh, yes, I'll go back to him again today, pretty much the same logic as last time, except now they're in dire straits and they're going to need to figure something out. It could result in more Serge Ibaka minutes. What about the rest of these guys? Fred Van Vliet, uh, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam. Like you said, Siakam struggling getting into the paint. Not I, he, He's been forced into a lot of bad decisions too. Like There were a couple spots where he probably should have been credited with a turnover uh, and, and got lucky. But once he gets into the paint and he sees those bodies collapse on him, it's like he freezes up and can't get any type of traction. And, and, and his game has been massively influenced by it, Greg. He's going to get a ton of minutes no matter what. He's, his price has fallen below 7K for the first time in, or below 8K for the first time in this series. Do we, do we try to get back to him today or do we say Brad Stevens and his Boston Celtics team – defensively has been playing him brilliantly and they do that with a lot of players. He, maybe he's just, maybe he's just not the guy we're looking to get into our lineups at a high clip today. So I still like Siakam. Actually, I like the core three guys on the Raptors more than the, more than the Celtics starters. 
And the way I'd rank them, I have Lowry one, Siakam two, and then Van Vliet three. Um, I still think that for the season, like we have to look at Siakam's numbers and how good of a fantasy producer he was and assume that he's going to get somewhat back to that. I get that he sucked in the last couple of games, but especially if we assume that Serge Ibaka is going to play more minutes. If Serge Ibaka is going to play more minutes, it's going to open up the court for, for Siakam, like I said before, and I think that's going to be cause for him to play a little bit better. And then the other thing too is, if the if let me see where's his uh he's projected for 37 percent ownership so whatever that that's a fair number i was gonna say maybe there'll be a little bit of public bias against them after the last game but maybe that doesn't exist as much on the two game slate where we only have so many options anyway um but it appears not yeah uh lowry would still be my number one option siakam two and van vliet three and that's that's also um about the order that they produced in fantasy in terms of the regular season okay yeah, Siakam in four games against Boston this year, and I'm not really a game log chaser like this, but in four games against Boston has really been underwhelming, but you're just going to have – a lot of that, though, is because the rebounding numbers have been through the floor, uh, and he hasn't really produced many peripherals. He's still attempting like 15, or 16 shots per game around there. He, it's not like the vol, the shot volume has been down – just a very, very strange matchup for him and one that he has really struggled with. And you can tell he was visibly frustrated uh, in that last game. I don't blame him. OG Ananobi is another guy that, that comes into play. And by the way, I'm going Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, but I'm not, I'm not so sure it matters. Uh, and, and I say, well, we can talk about positional scarcity and everything like that as well. Uh, but, but I think you can project all of these guys for rel- rel- relatively similar production. What about OG Ananobi getting 38 minutes last game? His price point has crept up above 5K, but his minutes are increasing as well. Uh, and he was, you know, he was he was fine. He had a 20-point game. Uh, he got up 12 shots in, in 38 minutes, which is more than you could say for like a Royce O'Neal at a similar price point. He's not going to provide a ton of peripheral stats. It's just the way it is. But you're also going to need him to knock down those three to four to five threes that he gets up each game. But really the big thing here, Greg, is he's going to play a lot of minutes. Nick Nurse, unless he makes dramatic changes, is running Ananobi out there for an easy 35-plus minutes again tonight. Yeah, so the other thing, too, is on some of these small two-game slates, there are times with the cheaper guys where just the floor matters more than the ceiling. And that's something that OJ Ananobi really provides because he scored at least 20 DK points in every single one of his playoff games so far. So if you roster him at, at his current price tag, it's not like he's going to kill a lineup. And there's a decent chance if, if there's no cheap guys that have a big game, then it might just be that, hey, you got 20 fantasy points out of OG Ananobi. Everybody else in his price range sucked. Therefore, he ends up in the optimal lineup because there just weren't good options anyway, which that might be the that might be the case with the way the pricing is today. Final thoughts on this game? Uh, overall, I, I favor the Raptors to win slightly in this game. I think they make for a decent bet uh, and I hope they make a starting lineup change. I'm not going to really be on Marcus Gasol today. Um, I also think that as a really low-owned player, if you want to take a chance on Norman Powell, I think there's a chance that he ends up closing the game and he's worth a very small amount of shares of the GPP. Raptors laying one point, 215 total. Uh, as a betting man, who do we take here? Of the Raptors. And by the way, uh, before we get on to the next game, I don't know if you saw the news. Do you see who the Nets hired as their, as their next coach? No, who is it? Steve Nash. Really? Yeah. Wow. Jacques Vaughn was fighting for that one, man. It looks like they said, thanks for your service. I, 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 Jacques Vaughn and uh, JB Bickerstaff, it feels like, have been 
interim coaches more than you could ever imagine. But wow, okay, Steve Nash. Yeah, I'm just hoping Kenny Atkinson comes to the Sixers. That's all I care about. I think everybody wants Kenny Atkinson. What? I think everybody wants Kenny Atkinson in terms of fan bases. I think everybody should want Ken. I think Kenny Atkinson's a fantastic coach. So we'll see. yeah, I don't know what I don't know what to make of uh, Steve Nash, but I, I thought Jacques Vaughn did a very good job coaching the Nets. So I, I kind of I kind of thought that he was gonna I thought he was gonna stick. And then you mentioned JB Bakersfield. That guy's a professional interim coach. Like that's, he is. that's like what a jo- what a career he's made for himself. He hears a guy's about to get fired, and he's on the phone like, "Hey guys, when do you need me?" <laughs> he's just there if, every single time. If you're a head coach and you have JB Bickerstaff as like a head assistant, you can't feel great about that situation because exactly. he's, he's taken over at some point. Exactly. If he is on the bench, you just you know your time is up. You just don't know when. Right. For uh, yeah, it's so yeah, funny he's, too. He, he's been a, he. I swear he's been. I swear that guy's been an interim coach at least four times. Maybe more than he. He really. He's the Grim Reaper of assistant coaches. He is. He's, he's just sitting there with the sickle. He's ready to take over. He's he's ready to push you out. Wasn't he the actual head coach of uh, the Grizzlies? Memphis, right? Yeah. Yeah. But but he was was the interim before. He was the interim and then took over as the head coach. Of course he was. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Uh, It's so insane. Like, J.B. Bickerstaff is a guy that they say, all right, he'll, he'll, he'll carry us the rest of the way. Who cares what happens? And then we'll get somebody else and thank him for his service and, you know, give him a parting gift. Anyway, uh, I'm, by the way, I'm laying the, the single point with Toronto as well. Uh, last game was a very winnable game for Toronto. Game one, they got shit on. Game two was a spot that I took, I took Toronto to win that game. And I, I got them. I, I think the line moved. They ended up being a pick them. Just took the money line or yeah, the money line. And I'm like, okay, they, they should tie this up. And it was very close. Greg, it would be surprising, very surprising if Toronto, reigning champs, Sans, Kawhi Leonard, I get that, but still a good team, goes down 3-0 in this series. That'd be shocking. Yeah, for sure. And it was it was so weird last game. I mean, they were up, I think, 78-70 going into the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. And no, they had a they they were up 78-68 at one point, too. I remember they had a 10-point lead and I felt pretty good about it. Yeah, it, it seemed like they were gonna coast to a win and they just fell apart in the fourth quarter. Like if you if you were just watching the game from a distance and know who the teams were, you would assume that the Raptors were the young team and the Celtics were the defending champions who just clawed their way back into the game because Toronto totally fell apart. Like there was odd decision making down the stretch. You mentioned the the Siakam turnovers. There was which I talked with Josh yesterday, there was Nick Nurse not taking the timeout in the final four seconds and then just Fred Van Fleet taking a not good shot, just a crazy heave because that was all they were able to get off in that final possession. Uh, that was a really mishandled final quarter. It certainly was. Denver, LA Clippers. Somebody said in chat, no OG Ananobi talk. I thought we talked about him. Yeah, we talked about OG. Yeah, we talked about him. If you go back a little bit, you'll find it. Uh, LA Clippers, you see this, Greg? They're laying nine points. That's, yeah. That's a lot of points. Laying nine, two twenty-three total. Uh, I guess that's what happened. That that that's really interesting to know because they were laying less than that with Luka Doncic on the floor and Kristaps Porzingis out. Right? They're getting like I think it was at one point seven and a half. It got to, but there was one game where the Clippers were only five and a half point favorites. Uh, Luka Doncic basically single hand. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One, two of them. He's next year's MVP. Lock it up, man. But that's besides the point. Nine points in the second round of a postseason game says a lot about it. Uh, it says a lot about both teams. I, I still don't know how I don't take the, the points with Denver here. I, I get defensively that they've been brutal, but the Clippers have not been very good either. They're allowing a 67% shooting at the rim in the postseason. That is a really bad mark. Uh, the only two teams that had been worse than that were the Magic and the Portland Trailblazers. If, if, if I think Utah did a much – I think Utah – this is – Utah is obviously not a tougher matchup at all, but for somebody like Jokic – Utah made life a little bit more difficult because Gobert was going to make life tough for Jokic specifically inside the paint and around the basket and force him to, to, to kick the ball out and, and, and keep him away from the net. The, the Clippers don't really have that inside presence that's going to be able to limit Jokic. So I don't see the Denver Nuggets winning many games in this series, but I still think nine points is a lot. I agree it's a lot, but my gut feeling here is that this is going to be a blowout. And, you think so? And here, it'll be closer than you think. I, I'm, I'm really concerned about fatigue. And I, I was talking with Jordan about this. Jordan Klein, the man behind the, behind the sticks today, uh, before, before we got on, is after, after the, the Nuggets win in Game 7, Jamal Murray did an interview with Scott Van Pelt. And Scott Van Pelt said, so quick turnaround, you guys play against the Clippers on Thursday. How do you prepare to play a team like that on short rest? And there's like a pause, and Jamal Murray goes, we only get one day off? We, we have to play again on Thursday? And he goes, yeah. And, and Jamal Murray goes, ah, oh, oh, man. And there was just a part of me that saw that and was like, well, I think fatigue is going to be a big issue here. Like we, we saw kind of how Jamal Murray looked at the end of some of those games where he was just wiped. He gave everything he had into those final couple games of the series and I, I thought that fatigue was an issue for him. Like, we look at how poorly he shot in Game 7 compared to the other games, which obviously nothing he was doing in those games was sustainable. There was no way he was going to keep shooting, like, 60% from three. But still, I think I think fatigue and what he had left in his life was a big issue and why he was so inefficient in Game 7. And I think that's going to carry over a little bit today. And I think that it's pretty reasonable to think that the Clippers will be able to take advantage of a potentially tired Denver team and get off to a really big lead early. Well, Okay. I can't, I'm not going to argue with your reasoning. I'm also, I'm I'm personally not going to look into fatigue as something that, that really directs my judgment big time one way or another. We will find out if that's the case though, then you have to be applying that from a DFS standpoint as well, which means that Nikola Jokic at 9,500, Jamal Murray at at 9,300. Does that mean that you're just not interested in these guys does it mean you have te- uh, tempered in- uh, tempered interest in them or what? Because I, I just, I really, this feels like a spot where Nikola Jokic in, in that Utah series w- had some good games, but all in all, wasn't the same Nikola Jokic that exhibited monster upside uh, that we'd seen in the pre in previous opportunities. And I know he hasn't been great against the Clippers this season, but he's only averaged 28 minutes per game. I think if Jokic plays 38 to 40 minutes here, he can have a very big game. I'm just not convinced by this Clippers interior defense. They're very good outside of the perimeter. They're very good at sealing that off. But 
inside, I, I don't think Ivica Zubats or Montrez Harrell with, with his limited size are going to be able to contain Jokic. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's a two-game slate, so it's hard to be off uh, off a team. Well, that's why I said tempered interest, because yeah. it's a spot where maybe you'd be more interested if they weren't on short rest. Yeah, for sure. So one thing I'll say is this: I'm much more apt to stack the Boston Raptors game and to be heavier on that than on the later game, just because of what I think is potential blowout risk here. I agree with you, though. If the game stays close, it almost definitely means that Nikola Jokic has a big game. Uh, I, I think that of any player in this game, Jokic does make for the strongest play because. I think about the what needs to happen for the game to stay close. And I think it's probably going to have to be a big game from Jokic because I, I just don't buy into Jamal Murray shooting at all in terms of being sustainable going forward. So like a 9,300 price tag on Jamal Murray on DraftKings, I have, I have so little interest in it. He's by far to me the 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 player that I think is the the. I'm trying to think how to how to word this correctly. He's the guy I have the least interest in amongst the, amongst the high-end plays by a pretty wide margin. Okay. Yeah, I I just keep coming back to the fact that the Clippers once the, the the one spot where I think they're going to to struggle the most is in the in interior defense. Maybe I'm wrong. I guess we'll find out. But uh, how do you feel about Jamal Murray? I'm I'm concerned about Jamal Murray. It, this is less about the rest. I'm, I'm I'm happy to give you that. Don't get me wrong. I think there's there's an argument to be made there, but it, it's more about the fact that. He's he's priced at his ceiling. He's clear, yes. <laughs> you know, he's priced at his ceiling. You can't I know last game Murray had what ninety seven hundred dollar price point. And I, I had no issues with rostering him because it was in a, it was in two two teams that were playing brutal defense. And then they both clamped down. That final score was eighty to seventy-eight, Greg. Eighty well, to seventy-eight. It was a lot of aggression at once. A lot. A lot, and, and there were a lot of missed opportunities, uh, but also considerably better defense than we've seen in the past. I'm I'm very much concerned about Jamal Murray here for a couple of reasons, and I pointed this out the other day. Jamal Murray's touches over those those three games where he was on an, a crazy run were up like 16 per game from what he's done in the in the bubble and in the before that in the postseason, and especially on the season. His potential assists were up significantly like five per game from where they were before he was rebounding at a 13% clip. Jamal Murray's never going to rebound at a 13% clip and his usage, which was 35% might actually have been the most sustainable aspect of his game because everything Nikola Jokic is, is the, the guy that the offense I think in this spot is going to run through Jamal Murray is still going to get plenty of opportunity or else they're going to get their dicks kicked in, but the rebounding and the assists and overall peripheral stats opportunity for someone like Murray, even if, Greg, even if he is going to score, uh, even if he is going to rip off another 25 shots, he was putting up some monster lines to accompany that. And that's kind of some stuff that 11 rebounds, seven assists, eight rebounds, eight assists. The more minutes you play, the more opportunity you're going to have to do that. So I think the two rebounds and four assists from last game was more of an outlier than anything, but at 9,300, you're either going to need him to score 50 points or you're going to need him to turn in like a well-rounded Chris Paul type performance with the scoring to, in order to get it done. I just don't see a ton of avenues in which Jamal Murray gets it done in this matchup specifically at this price point. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And the other issue, too, is just not only were the peripheral stats ridiculous, he was shooting like 65 percent exactly. from three over that exactly. stretch. And it's just 
that's just never going to happen again, especially against the tough Clippers defense. Like they're going to have, I mean, Patrick Beverly's questionable to play right now, but they've, they've Beverly to throw at him. They could have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George switch onto him at, at points in time. Like it's just so hard to envision that he's anywhere near the production that he was at before. So as of now, in just the like initial builds I did, I, I don't have Jamal Murray in any lineups, which I, I'm fine with that. If that's the case, there's so many other guys in this price range. I'd rather pay up for, I'd rather roster Jokic. I'd rather roster Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Jason Tatum. Like, it's crazy that he's even in the same breath as those players. And it's not because I don't think Jamal Murray's good. I think Jamal Murray's great. He's just not as good as those guys. He's not. And 9,300's a lot of money. Think about it this way. In any other situation, in any other situation outside of, like, the last three games before game seven, or we can throw last game into the mix as well. If Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are basically the same price, and forget about positioning, you know, on DraftKings you have enough flexibility to where it's not a huge concern. If they're about the same price, 99 times out of 100, you're going Nikola Jokic over Jamal Murray. So Jokic played one less minute per game than Murray this year, and Jokic averages 46.7 DraftKings points, and Murray averages 35.3. Exactly. So it's, it's, not even, it's not even close. So it, it's crazy to me that you see the conversations on Twitter last week where it's like, who's the better, who's the best player on the Nuggets, Jamal Murray or Nikola Jokic? Not close. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, why? Because Jamal Murray's a 65% shooter from three permanently now? Like, if, yeah, if, right. if he is, then he's the best player of all time, which isn't the case. <laughs> right. And then it's like, then the question is, how much better than Michael Jordan is Jamal Murray? Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. something we want to get into. But yeah, look, <laughs> I, I, we're on the same page here. It, it, Nikola Jokic, to me, let's let's assume it stays close. And I I don't like to predict blowouts because every time I do, not every time, but it's, it's like predicting weather in baseball. I know we have meteorologists and stuff that make it easier, but back before all of that, we were just tracking the radar and didn't have baseball, MLB, DFS weather guys, which who knows anyway. And uh, Google. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It, it was it, to not play a hitter because a game had some chance of getting rained out. And then the hitter goes off for three home runs. It's a little bit different in this case with blowouts. So it's probably not the best to equate the two. But all I'm saying is the blowouts happen in strange ways. And I'll give you a couple examples of what I mean. One, this game could go into the fourth quarter tied up and then the Clippers pull away from it. And the starters only end up losing three minutes. Uh, or Michael Malone says, you know what, I'm still going to give him 38 minutes because we're still somewhat in reach, even though we're never really that competitive. There's so many different ways this could go. So uh, that that to me means that Jokic is still somebody that I like quite a bit, but so does the field, Greg. He's getting 41% ownership on DraftKings, 39% on FanDuel, uh, and much of that comes down to the fact that he's just – if Murray's going to be 9,300, Jokic should be 11,000 if we're going to go off that comparison. Yeah, and I think the other reason also to like Jokic is, because like I said, if we're expecting regression from Jamal Murray, if this game isn't a blowout, right? So if, if this is a really competitive game and Jamal Murray doesn't score a million points, then to me it just means that logically, that means Jokic played well. And, and I think that it's really hard to have lineups that have like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George that don't have Jokic for that reason. If you guys uh, haven't checked it out yet, we've got some good stuff going on over at awesomeo.com. We've also got we, we, we always try and throw out promotional deals to get to to get people to to see what our product is because we know that you guys are going to love it so much, right? Uh, th- that's that's why we do this. And we've got a promo going on right now. 
It is Sleeper. It's 20% off the Awesome O Plus NFL monthly uh, subscription with the free draft kit. We have the free draft kit. You know, best ball right now is insane over on DraftKings. They got a Millie Maker. They got the, the Wildcat with 250000 the first. They even have a $3 entry with fifty k to first in these best ball drafts. They're so addicting. You start, you can't stop playing them. You can't stop drafting your teams. Well, we've got the, the we put together an amazing best ball package, amazing fantasy football package. Even if you're doing redraft teams with friends, maybe it's a higher money dollar league and you want to make sure that you're doing everything right. Everything's data driven. It's not groupthink like you see within the industry where everyone has similar opinions and everyone's AD or everyone's projections and rankings are so close to each other. That's not what you're going to see. They're different, but they're different because uh, we, we, we take Alex Baker's approach that he takes to DFS. He's a number one ranked player in the world for a reason and apply it to the season long stuff, to the best ball. For example, last year, everybody had Jameis Winston. And Lamar Jackson ranked down at like 11 or 12 or 13 at their position. Alex had Lamar Jackson third and Jameis Winston second because of the the way that he's creating these rankings and projections. Those are just a couple examples, but you'll see it throughout everything. Uh, He's willing to take those risks and be different than everybody because that's what the numbers tell him. And you know what? When you let the numbers do the talking, you're usually going to end up being pretty good at DFS and in turn at best ball and season long. But we've got the DFS package 20% off, sorry, 25% off when you use the promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. All of the tools, all the projections, the ownership, the premium content, all of the articles, uh, the lineup builder, and so much more. And you're getting this free uh, the, the draft kit with the, the draft wingman, all of our rankings, projections, a million awesome articles that we have, all of these new tools that you've never seen before uh, that are that are specific to what we do at AwesomeO. And you'll get a $35 free credit to FFPC, Fantasy Football Players Championship, to play best ball leagues, to get your money back there. So essentially, the $29.95 value of the, best, uh, the draft kit, well, you get $35 back anyway. You're getting $80 value for only $38. It's 25% off the full month, uh, calendar month of NFL Awesome O Plus subscription, everything we have for NFL DFS, and you're getting the free best ball draft kit, free fantasy football draft kit, and you're getting that $35 free credit to FFPC. So why why wait? Just get in there, make this happen, and be sure to join our premium Slack chat when you do. You got people talking sports and DFS all day, all night long. Use the promo code SLEEPER at awesomeo.com slash join to get all of this wonderful stuff. Football right around the corner, 10 days away till Sunday, uh, and one week, specific, one week exactly away till the start of the season. I can't wait, Greg. I haven't been this stoked for football in a while. It really snuck up this year. I think I think it's because there's no preseason this year. So there's there's no point where it's like, oh, like there's no lead right. up to football. It's all of a sudden just football. So I, I agree with you. It's definitely, it, it's coming pretty quick and I'm, I'm looking forward to week one. Hit that thumbs up guys. Uh, get it. We got to get it at least over a hundred. What are we? 79, 460 people watching. Come on, baby. Let's, let's make this happen. Appreciate you guys. And it's the simplest way to help support us. It, it really helps us out a ton to get this show to new eyes, to fight the YouTube algorithm and to continue putting out free content here uh, at awesomeo.com. Subscribe, hit that notification bell as well if you haven't done it yet. I know a lot of our people that watch just uh, watched and aren't subscribed. It's fine. We appreciate you tuning in anyway, but by subscribing, um, it, it, it is super helpful. And also, 
you always know when new content's dropping next. We hit on every sport. Okay. Uh, how much else on Denver do you want to talk about here? Because the Gary Harris came back. He's been back for two games now. He's been largely irrelevant, but he's still here. And he played – how many minutes did he play last game? 24, 26? Yeah. He played 26. He closed that game out. Here was the closing lineup, Greg. Jamal Murray played the entire fourth quarter. Torrey Craig played the entire fourth quarter. Gary Harris played the entire fourth quarter. And then Nikola Jokic and Jeremy Grant subbed in with like two minutes gone in the fourth. So that was your that was your closing lineup. Murray, Jokic, Grant, uh, Craig, and and Gary Harris. I don't mind taking shots on Gary Harris and GPP. Only project for 11% ownership on DraftKings. If, if we're looking for a cheap guy that has a reasonable chance to have a decent game, I think Gary Harris is one of the guys on this slate, especially one of the ones at low ownership. It's hard to find guys on two-game slate. They're actually decent players that are cheap and have low ownership. Obviously, the risk with Gary Harris is that he's only played twice in the last, what is it, four months now, and he didn't really produce great from a fantasy perspective in either of those games, but I think he could start tonight. That's not out of the realm of possibility. I definitely think he's a better option like Torrey Craig. I think he's a better option than Monty Morris going forward. So I think that that is a potential lineup change that Denver makes tonight with Gary Harris maybe starting over Monty Morris. Uh, so I, I wouldn't sleep on I wouldn't sleep on Gary Harris. I think that he's an okay play, not somebody I want to have a ton of exposure to, but he'll be in my player pool. Uh, one other guy to mention, uh, Paul Millsap is like Marcus Sol West. Like there's another old guy who used to be really good, really good defensive player. Marcus Sol West, and, and he just he he also just kind of looks dust now. He's cooked. Is there an argument to be made that Michael Malone didn't want to use him in that series and he's going to use him more in this one? I don't know. Maybe, probably not. I, I, I don't see it happening. He didn't play. He played below 20 minutes in, in uh, six of seven games there. I, I just don't know what's left of him. Can you, can you look to Millsap and say, Maybe this was specific to the matchup and his price is through the floor right now. So maybe it's worth taking a look at, or is this a complete stay away spot for you altogether right now? He just looks so bad in the bubble that it's hard for me to get behind him. And also when he, there was just a game seven that Paul Millsap played 14 minutes in. That, that's such yeah. a red flag for what, for what Mike Malone feels about Paul Millsap right now. I think that Malone would just rather play Michael Porter Jr., Obviously, the, the concern here is that Michael Porter Jr. is going to get absolutely torched by Kawhi Leonard and Paul George if he's out there. So maybe that's what happens if if Porter goes out there and just gets destroyed by those guys. They have no choice but to play Millsap. But Millsap doesn't really look like he's providing anything right now either. So he, he's not somebody I have interest in tonight. Michael Porter played a lot in the first half of that game. I think he played about 12 minutes in the first half and then basically got zero run in the second half, played four and a half minutes there. Uh, saw no opportunity down the stretch. Like I said, Mike Malone decided to go with Craig and Harris to close out this game. They both played, they both played 17 and a half minutes straight, which, which leads me to my next question and, and kind of a point all mixed in Greg, Gary Harris played uh, about almost 18 minutes in the fourth quarter alone, right? Uh, you might have mentioned that. In the in the first half, he played about eight minutes. If you take that up, the minutes that he saw in the and, and assume this is a close game, take the minutes that he saw in the third and fourth quarter, and kind of prorate that 
into or try and parlay that into what you see next game, it's possible that Gary Harris gets above 30 minutes here. Why would you limit somebody's minutes if that was a concern and then play them 18 straight minutes to close out the game? Yeah, I think this is, I think this is a decent spot for Gary Harris and GPP, uh, for $100 cheaper in a utility spot, I'd much rather pay, play Gary Harris than Paul Millsap. I think that there's more ceiling uh, with Harris. And I, I also think that he's going to see an uptick in minutes with Monty Moore seeing a downtick in minutes in this series. What else are you doing with the Denver Nuggets today? Uh, Jeremy Grant, I think, is is viable. That's kind of an oddly cheap price tag for him on DraftKings. I know he didn't have huge fantasy games against the against the Jazz, but... I mean, he was starting and pretty consistently playing 35-plus minutes down the stretch of the series. So for the season, he he put up 25.5 TK points as a starter. So at the 4900 price tag, I think that that's a little bit too cheap. Okay. Yeah, very popular today. Right now, the fourth highest ownership. Mind you, a lot of these guys are so close in, in projected ownership that it's not going to make a huge difference. On the other side of this game, uh, Patrick Beverly. Here's somebody right now that, is is getting a ton of love early on. Uh, he is expected to be, and I hate this wording, available for game one, whatever the hell that means. Uh, assuming available means he's going to play, but I wish it was just, yeah, he's going to play. He, he, I don't know what type of opportunity he's going to get, but I do know that if you're talking about a discounted player whose per-minute production really isn't that bad. He averages, what is it, like 0.9-something fantasy points per minute on the year uh, or 0.88, something around there. Not terrible. At, at such a discounted price point, you're going to see a lot of people take that risk today. He is uh, getting – there are three players on DraftKings projected for north of 40% ownership. Patrick Beverly is one of those, Greg. Yeah. And I mean, the price tag is right. I, I just, like you said, I don't like that available term. Like, as I'm not totally convinced he's going to play as of now. I'm That's still what I mean. It's very like, concerning. I'm still considering him questionable. As, and they're nine as point the favorites. So I, I, and like you said, also, even if he plays, like how much he's going to get, he's played, what is it like once in the last 11 he games? He played 20 like minutes. That. He played 20 minutes against Dallas uh, on, I think it was like the seventh or the, uh, hold on, I'll tell you right 17th. now. 17th. 17th? It was. Okay, yeah, the 17th. So he left that game with an injury, and the game before that was August 4th against the Suns. He left that one with an injury also. So yeah. it's, it's, really, it's really weird. He's, he's played two games in the last month, and he left both of them early with, with an injury. So that in itself makes it really hard to know what they're going to do. I do think that with his recent injury history, if the Clippers are up comfortably in this game, and not even saying the blowout situation I mentioned before, even if it's just the nine-point spread that it is right now, I don't think they're going to push Beverly in the fourth quarter. I mean, the like the price is the price is fine. I understand why the ownership's so high, but I'm probably more apt to go under the field than under the field, uh, under the field than over the field with Beverly. People just their eyes light up when you see a thirty five hundred dollar price tag on a potential starter. You know what I mean? That that's what it is. But uh, I'm I'm a little nervous about the fact that he might not play at all. And that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, you know, available. To, it, okay, if Patrick Beverly, let's just say, let's just let's just go ahead and and say that Patrick Beverly, this game happens, and Patrick Beverly is starting, then then it becomes a, a bit of a different story. He started that last game though, and had he started on the seventeenth, and I don't think he he didn't get injured in that. He actually played four minutes in the first quarter. 
3.30 in the second quarter, 3.15 to start the third quarter, and then he closed out the game and played nine and a half minutes. He was playing four three- and three-minute rotations in the first, second, and third quarter. That's, that's, that's a little bit strange as well. He didn't leave early with an injury and only played 20 minutes. He finished the game and only played 20 minutes. All right. I just assumed it was because he left. He left. So when did he get hurt then? Because he, he hasn't played since then. I think he I think it was following that game. He was hurt. But no, no I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I thought he got hurt in that game as well. But it's more concerning that he was playing four minute and three minute rotations through three different quarters. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, it's definitely odd. So, I mean, if, if he starts, I agree with you. Then I think it's easy to feel better about his his minutes, because if he if he starts, then. I mean, he has to play some minutes unless he gets hurt again during the game, which I guess that's a possibility. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't weigh that as an option. Um, I think the other thing to to look at is if he doesn't start, who's going to start in his place? Um, maybe Reggie Jackson, maybe Landry Shamit. Um, if either of those guys end up starting, I think they're okay as as a value play. Um, but as it stands now, I think that with what did you say that ownership was for Beverly, forty uh, percent. I'd say that I'd, I'd say probably be comfortable with like 25 to 30 percent Beverly and then maybe mixing in some guys like Shamit or Jackson in a really small percentage of lineups as as pivot plays. What are your thoughts on the rest of the, the Clippers here talking Paul George, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, man, like some really, really ugly performances, <laughs> some really, really ugly stuff. And he, he, he bounced back a little bit you know, the, in, in game five, I think it was. He played 25 minutes. They won by 100 points, and he shot 12 for 18. So he was on pace to put up a much bigger game than he did. But all in all, it was a it was a brutal shooting performance from Paul George. He shot in this series. He shot 28 percent from three, then 50, 14 percent, 12 percent, 20 percent, 36 percent, which is a little bit better. But uh, it, it was a tough go for him throughout the most of this series. Had it not been, they probably win it in five games, maybe even sweep the the, the uh, maps. One of the other just just odd quirk, it doesn't really matter. He had exactly four personal fouls in every single game in that series, which I also thought was, <laughs> was just a little bit huh. weird. Uh, but looking at Paul George, I, I like him. I'm a little disappointed how high his ownership is projected to be for today. Like, I just assume people are going to be off Paul George because they hate him. Like, if you just if you just go on Twitter, that's all people talk about is how much Paul George sucks in the playoffs. And uh, Pandemic P now, no longer playoff. Games. By the way, <laughs> B- Basketball Reference actually changed his his nickname. He's now Pandemic Did P. Did they really? Yeah, if you go to Basketball oh, Reference. Oh, that's, that's awesome. His, that's his nickname there. Um, but still, I, like, I, I like Paul George. I liked him a lot more when I thought he was going to be low-owned yesterday, which doesn't look it's like – It's playoff P again, so I'm wondering if somebody went rogue and, uh, and, and did that. Or maybe it was pandemic? a joke and they put it back. Do they have Pandemic P still in there? Or is it nah, totally just gone? playoff P. That's disappointing. Um, That's very disappointing. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm fine with Paul George. I just wish that he was lower owned. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, I like him also. The one issue with getting all the way up to Kawhi Leonard is that there isn't a whole lot of value on this slate, and that makes it pretty hard to pay up for the most expensive guys. Uh, I, I'd rather go to like uh, you know like Kyle Lowry at 7,500, Pascal Siakam at 7,900, just for the per dollar play. I think that they're slightly preferred options for me than then going all the way up to Leonard on 10,300, unless there's some sort of crazy value that opens up. Okay. What about Lou Williams, who has been he, – he's an unpredictable guy. He's going to have some big games, and then he's going to completely fall apart. 
Uh, not nice. I shouldn't say fall apart. That's the type of guy he is. He's instant offense. And if he's not scoring, you're not getting much from him. Played 17 minutes in the last game, shot one for nine, 22 minutes in that blowout bench guys, six men lose the most minutes in a blowout because they don't get, they, they lose an entire rotation oftentimes. So I'm not worried about that. Uh, but his minutes are going to be a bit erratic depending on the flow of this game, especially depending on how he's shooting. Uh, Lou Williams' price point is kind of a tough one. I, I think maybe sometimes you can make the argument that that Lou Williams always makes for a decent tournament option because when he does go off, it's going to be at very low ownership because nobody trusts him. But I wouldn't feel comfortable having more than just a little bit of Lou Williams today. Yeah, and I don't think the field is either because he's only projected for around uh, 10%, 10% ownership. Yeah. Uh, the, the price tag just isn't right. I mean, 6200 is too high. That's more than I want to pay for Lou Williams. It's it's a big investment to make in a guy who the last two games played 17 and 21 minutes. Um, and also that if Beverly's back, that means that there's a little bit less playing time for Lou Williams. So I, I don't, I don't think the price tags right for him. Um, like you said, if you want to play a small percentage of him in GPP, uh, that makes sense. You don't have to play all that money lineups with him to be even with the field because the, because the ownership on him is projected to be so low. What about Zubats? So I, there's kind of two guys we need to talk about here because Zubots and Montres Harrell go hand in hand. And the way that Harrell was handled last series, first of all, he, he was noticeably out of shape. He did not play well. This was not just a fit. Yes. This was not just like, Oh, let's, you know, let's be, let's put him, handle him with kid gloves. He looks great. But no, there were some games there where Montres Harrell looked like a complete liability. So the one caveat to that, though, is he did look really good in game five. Yeah. And I kind of thought after that, like, okay, Montres Harrell's back going forward. And then game six, he only played 15 minutes. And it was like, oh, well, maybe not. Uh, but but still, I look at what he did in game five, and I have to assume that he's in better shape now. Right now, they've had the, they've had the week off. He's been in the bubble. He's been able to work on his conditioning. And he's such a core part of the team in the regular season. And for the most part, I mean, off the bench, he played 27 minutes and averaged 31 DraftKings points in the regular season. So if there was any point during the during the year where we saw a 4,100 price tag on Montrezl Harrell, like he would have been a lock. Like everybody would have rushed to play him. And it's hard to say he is the same kind of security just because of how bad he was in the last series. But I think that he has a better opportunity to play more because I assume he's going to be in better shape entering the second round of the playoffs. That end, if the Clippers want to make a long playoff run, Harrell's probably going to have to be a big part of that at some point. So I think going forward, I'm going to project Harold's minutes to go up and Zubats to go down a little bit. Okay. So being that they're pretty much the same price, Zubats only a few hundred dollars more expensive. Would you still rather go to Harold? Yeah, especially because of the ownership right now, Zubats is around 35%. Harold's 10%. To me, that, that's just a natural pivot. Uh, I think it makes sense to have exposure to both of them. I wouldn't play them in the same lineup. But to have individual lines with Zubats, have individual lines with Harrell makes sense. And if you go about even with your exposure to both of them, you're just going to end up with more Harold in the field and less Zubats in the field. And that's that's the approach that I think I'm going to be taking. Okay. Round out the rest of this Clippers team before we shut the doors on this one. Um, I think we talked about pretty much everybody. Uh, Marcus Morris. Um, that's about all we missed. We didn't talk much on Kawhi. Uh, I mean, I touched on him for a little bit. I think he's fine. Just the issue is that it's hard to get up to him because there isn't a lot of value on the slate. So I'm just going to be I'm just going to be higher on on some of the other Raptors guys and Celtics guys than I am on on uh, on Leonard just because of the price tag. And I think that I think Jokic makes for a better play in this game, also. 
Um, okay. Let's see. Marcus Morris, no interest in him at, at 5,400 on DraftKings. Um, I don't think he's going to get ejected again, but I, I can't say he won't get ejected again because he's a, seems like a, a relatively crap human being who is, is out there trying to injure people. So that's, that's maybe that's a little bit of a bias too. Where there's certain guys who are like, I don't like him. Therefore I don't want to play him. Um, but I also don't think he's priced properly. Yeah. I mean, I doubt he gets, I, I wouldn't be factoring a, je- a possible ejection <laughs> into whether or not I want to play him. But uh, yeah, it's not like he's been spectacular anyway. Who do you have winning this? We know who we have winning this. I already told you, I'm actually going to take the points with Denver here. I think that's a lot. I know you're concerned about the the lack of rest, the dead legs. Are you laying the points with the Clippers? Yeah, I am. Uh, it, it is, like you said, it is it is a really wide line. It's like an oddly wide line, though. And I do feel like it's set as a little bit of a trap. Like I think the books are trying to goad people into betting the Nuggets in this spot. Okay. It's very possible. We'll see, won't we? Anyway. We will. Pr- we uh, appreciate you guys hanging out as always. Okay, what do we bang out an hour here? If you haven't been over to awesome.com yet, we've got some free stuff today. NBA player projections are free. NHL ownership, MLB player rankings, and PGA player rankings. I guess that doesn't matter, right? That already locked, I'm assuming. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, it starts tomorrow. Oh, yeah? Okay. I don't really pay much attention to golf. PGA player rankings from uh, Alex Awesome Baker. So we got something for... For basically every sport that, that's free here, make sure to check that out. Remember that sleeper code, 25% off the Awesome o Plus NFL Monthly with the free draft kit and the $35 free credit for FFPC to take everything you get from this and parlay that into some really sick best ball teams. We will be back with you tomorrow to close out the work week on the awesome NBA strategy show. We'll see you tomorrow.